Oh, a finish from Lita here to the box. Lotta, will he go for goal? Goes for goal. Here it is! Welcome to the Bees Analytica podcast. Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of the Bees Analytica podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing the academy system here in England. Its flaws, its merits, and continuing the conversation from where we were last week. On this week's episode, I'm joined by my usual host, James but also joined by special guest Matthew, who currently worked in academy football as a coach across various different categories and is also currently now coaching in women's football. I'll let Matthew introduce himself quickly to you and we'll get on with the debate. Welcome, guys. I hope you're doing all right. Thank you. Um, my name's Matthew. Uh, I've, I've currently uh, just finished um, a Master's in Performance Football Coaching. Um, and alongside that, I've been working in academy football uh, most recently at category three academy um, as a foundation phase coach um, and during my studies i also managed to go into different environments and observe and an- analyze different approaches within different academies across the category phases um, so that's kind of my experience uh, for the t- in academy football brilliant so i'm going to open the floor then and start off with this question, what is the purpose purpose of the Clubs Academy then? What, what's our thoughts and feelings on this to get the ball rolling? I think, I think for me, the, the most important thing that I would always say is, is that um, academies are essentially a player development programme. So a bit like the BT model, that's another player development programme. Um, the main aim for it uh, and the initial EPPP system was to to um, try and improve the quality of players brought through for for the England team, for the national team. So that was kind of the aim for it. And in in, in a way, to ensure that uh, clubs, uh, that clubs and, uh, are operating at a certain um, level and to ensure that the best players sort of drift up into being working in the best um, environments. So that was kind of my understanding about why these are, what these academies essentially do. Do you think it reaches that objective though? Do Will James come to you on this? Do you think that it's actually providing a pathway through for England's best talent? Well, yeah, if it's done kind of correctly, if, if the there's a good relationship between the academy and, and the first, I think that's the important thing is having that relationship and and the pathway is the whole point of the academy is, you know, it's there to get players through into the first team. So if it's done successfully, which it is a, you know, a, a few clubs, then yeah, it can be a brilliant source. Like as a whole, though, do we think that it, we've seen players come from lower league academies and rise up and then come into the England system through that route, or are most of them there by the point, by the point they break through, potentially? So you look at someone like Foden. He's not played through the lower leagues. He's gone through the city system and then popped up. Are we are we seeing kind of that whole, it's there just to protect the big boys, like, especially the Category 1 academies that have free picking, essentially, of those at the bottom? Do we, yeah, because I can't think of many examples off the top of my head, and gents, please jump in if you do, that players that have gone from either a Cat 4, Cat 3, and then jumped through, played at a Cat 1 level, and then gone into the England setup in recent memory. Because the programme, this is its eighth, ninth season, the programme, isn't it? The EPPP. Mm. So, again, I can't think of any that springs to mind. Currently, I believe, Perveda at Leeds, who's come through, who was at Brentford, but obviously he'd been released by Barca and Chelsea by that point, before going on to City, then Leeds. But I can't think of anything from the top of my head unless anyone's got anyone that they can think um. of. At Reading, there's Andy Rinnemotor who came through from Porchester into Reading's academy, who's now gone on to make 100 first team appearances. But I don't know about kind of international level. What, what sort of age was he when he was picked up? Or like uh, 16, 17? Oh, wow. Bloody hell. I didn't realize it was that old. He went into our. Um, he'd been playing, I think, men's football for AFC Porchester, who were up in Yorkshire. And then we signed him to put him into our academy, and he played. We played two or three, maybe four seasons in the academy before coming through, I think. 
and he's obviously been he he's invaluable to this Reading side in particular, and he's one that we're gonna well obviously with contracts and stuff we should make a lot more money off him. Yeah, there was, well we had that hard conversation, didn't we, with Reading in the Omar Richard situation currently mm. of. Yeah, he came in from Fulham's academy into Reading's academy when he yeah. was six. So he's but that obviously Fulham are category one as well, but he um, moved across from a different academy to make his name at Reading. Yeah, Sorry, I was going to say, I think for me, um, couple of, one of the players that kind of springs to mind is someone like a John Stones, who kind of who started at Barnsley, um, who were a cat two, and, and progressed obviously through Everton, and then uh, obviously now at Man City, and, and has had a, a sort of a reser- uh, resurgence as such. So that might be another example I, I would uh, kind of point out to. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And was he on professional terms, though, by the point he got through at Barnsley? Because I remember him being in the first two uh, at the time anyway, and then that would have meant they would have probably got a pretty decent fee for him in the end, and a sell-on, if they were fortunate enough. Especially when he went... Yeah, I, I suppose... I mean, I'm to be honest, I'm not sure on that one, but I suppose my, the point is there's many different ways in which a player could... Um, progressed to that to that um level so it might be that a player's gone through the academy system made made the first team appearances then then has been signed on as a professional again by by a premier league club and has subsequently moved on so that might be one way um which to do it it doesn't necessarily mean that a player had to have come through at cap at cap 1 straight away into the into a, a top first team it might be a different way that they've 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 come through that um, come through that system, um, yeah. and and that's the most important point. It's not a sort of a one size fits all model. There's going to be different different things altogether. You've got the Phil Foden, for example, who have come through um, an academy straight into the first team, but you'll have some who will come through other academies, made the first team appearances, then then progress. I mean. I guess the other one you'd look at is probably like a Chris Meppham in in some aspects. I know it's a Welsh national team, but sim- similar aspects where he's he's come through Brentford a, a academy B team. Now now he's in the was in the first team, then got a, a sell on to a a Premier a Premier League club at the time in Bournemouth, um, and as as well was starting to become a Welsh international. So that there are like I said, there is many different ways in which. It, it could transpire. Yeah, no, that's totally why I bring up the point on what the purpose of it, because each club in a, is very tribalistic in a sense with this country as well. But specifically, is what do we feel? Is it to benefit the club, the academy system, or is it to benefit us on the international stage? But personally, as a Brentford fan and someone that runs a bit Brentford account, I think it's very much the academy is a club centric. It should be to provide and sell assets for the first team. But from Matt, you're coming in from a different standpoint as a coach, as it should be a development program for the best players in our country. And should, yeah. do we then necessarily feel clubs shouldn't be so tribalistic in a sense of clinging on to their best talent? They should let them move through the system. I think it works in both ways. I mean, of course, from a national international point of view, you want the, the best players having the best opportunity to reach um, their potential, whether that's Premier League. Well, for most cases, they want them to reach Premier League. I suppose my the way I, I look at it is in in this country, we and what this EPP was set up for was to get those best the best players to, to be at the best academies, essentially, and to be able to to progress um but at the same time if it is clubs that are util- who are running this then they've also got to see an element of a return again football is very much a business and it, we can't um clubs can't be seen to be running at massive losses if they're not getting um any sort of returns on it um so that that would be my Sort of a counter argument. There's a bit of a for and against in 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 that sense. As as a coach, you always want 
the best for for play, especially if you're working in in a development sort of uh, environment. You want the best uh, players uh, to to reach their potential, or you want all players to reach their potential, shall I say? Um, and if a move is the best thing for them as a coach, you you probably you will welcome that, or you would support them in in their decisions. So, from a coach's point of view, you, you always all you want is the best for those players in in that in that system. From a from a club's point of view, it might be slightly different because there's there's a an end goal for them, which is to either get players into the first team so they can either sell them on or you use them so that they can uh, achieve their goals, essentially. No, absolutely. I agree with that coaching point of view. So, for instance, if you were still coaching with COVID, obviously it wasn't around, and you were still coaching in the academy system, and you had a player come to you or a club from another scout come to you saying that there was a player that they were interested in moving up, what would be your advice as a coach, purely from that point of view? Would you tell the player to jump at the opportunity? Would you tell them to stay put maybe and continue their development? What sort of pressures would you face as a coach as well? Because obviously the club, if they get a fee for them, might be vital, especially in pandemic circumstances. Like, I'd be interested to hear your thought process, especially mm. with your coaching hat on, of how you would deal with a player being approached by another club. I, I Again, it, it will come down to um, what my role is within that academy. So... The last role I had in an academy, I was purely there as, as an age group coach. So my job was essentially to um, work with the players, um, you know, training grounds, um, match days, work with them, help develop them. So essentially in those, those discussions were sort of not really with myself in, in that sense, in terms of that it's, it's a club's decision, then it goes to the academy manager and and they have to then take take whatever action is necessary um so from a from my my personal opinion my role was was simply to keep working with with those players um i think for for me if 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 players get an opportunity i guess it, it depends on what is best for them so each player is 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 unique in in, in what they want to uh, is unique in so many different ways um, in terms of how they play, how they develop. Some for some players it might be too early to move. For some players it might be in the in the optimal environment for them at the moment. Um, for some players they might need that move to 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 further challenge and push them uh, to be in an environment like that where the obviously the more the higher you go in the category system, that the, that more access to different. Um, disciplines and what I mean by that is um, things such as analysis, S and C, um, education. All those sort of things are um, you've got more full time staff and more facilities to do that. So some some players might need that um, at that time. Some players might actually feel that this is the right environment for them to, to keep developing. And and as a result, they keep developing, keep developing well, and and then they move on at a later stage, or they go into the first team, and and get their move even later on after that. So it very much depends on on the type of player that we're, that you're looking at in in these situations. It very much depends on that. So what sort of things do you think? And James will bring you into this one. What sort of stuff does an academy actually provide? in terms compared to grassroots because this is my big bugbear and i will mention it with the academy system is a kid at under nines level is going to be a totally different kid to under 16s to under 18s at that point what is the purpose of putting them into a system where i don't see what much difference between that and specifically grassroots so the question I'm kind of asking here is that yeah but what does academy systems provide that at under nines level as well, especially to what they can get elsewhere. So this is an open open floor. Leave it to either of you two to come back at me at this point because I know it's a slightly n narrow view on it, and but I'm interested to hear what you guys have got to say. Um, I'll go first. So I think the the first thing is contact time. So at an academy, 
um, you're, you're normally training three times a week, plus you have uh, a game um, on, on a Sunday or there might be a game programme. So you're looking at a contact time of four times a week. That's a, that's a minimum in, in terms of the schoolboy um, school level. Um, when you get to under, under, when you get to the point of becoming a scholar, which is your first sort of um, major contract as such, then, then you look. Then obviously you you're now essentially working as a footballer. So you're down, You're now having a schedule where you're training three or four times. You're training about four times during the week. Have a game on the on a Saturday, and then and then the cycle repeats. So, so when you're a scholar, you're essentially a a full time football. That's your job. When you're uh, under nine to under sixteen, again the, the contact time is three times a week. Um, at, at one level, that might that might increase um, because then you then you have like you said, you have different disciplinary interventions such as S and C analysis education um especially if you're on a full-time program because i know some players in the 9 to 16 especially at cap one they they're on a full-time program which they go to a school which is won by the the club um or not won by the club but they have an association with the with the with the club so they'll go to that school and then sometimes they'll have day release or they'll come out of school and do a do a session do extra work in the club so I suppose my first thing, compare that to a grassroots level. Grassroots, normally you're looking at once, twice a week training and a game on a week. So, you, so automatically you're cutting your um, contact time straight away. So that's probably the first thing you're looking at. Second thing is access to coaches. Now, I'm not saying that coaching badges um, equal... the equals the ability level of the coach but there's but you have to have certain prerequisite um qualifications to work to work in an academy so you have to so so the coaches should be of a standard or should be um of a, of a specific standard that um means that they, they have certain expertise and knowledge knowledge of how to develop players and that includes the youth awards um, so that so you have to have that, and and the other thing is, especially in higher, um, I say higher, cat, higher categories and cat ones, then you've got more full time staff. So you've got coaches that might work with a certain age group being on the are actually full time. So again, if that's their full time job, then they can devote more time to it. Whereas at, at grassroots level, you might have coaches who are already coming from, um, who already got today jobs and other and and it and they have to go from that to 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 coaching uh, in the evening so again the amount of time that people can do to can devote to it is is uh, a massive thing so that would be kind of the ma- major thing um, yeah i was going to say on that point then i just don't see the appeal in it truthfully of like how can a coach especially a player at the age of 9 that hasn't gone through puberty yet hasn't really developed full motor skills as of yet with their ABCs. How are you able to tell a player who's going to be quality from the age of nine to the age of 18 or 16, 17, where they're potentially going up to scholar terms? Like, that's my biggest point. I see it as the systems where the way it's set up currently is very much of just fear of missing out. You Mm. move up all of these kids and you're going to feed them the dream of they're all going to play professional football, they're going to get there build them up all the way through at the age of nine when they can sign on academy terms. That's not even mentioning the pre-academies where there is no limit currently, so you could have kids as young as three in a pre-academy system. Like, I just don't get why clubs need to have all these young players in here with the stats back it up that about one or two, if that per age group, might get a professional contract. Well, that's... That's why they're doing it, I guess, is to, to get those one or two. They're looking for that. I guess the thing is, the younger they are, the more easily moldable they are. And you know, you can, well, you can hope that if if they if you can see they've got something about them that young, that you can kind of polish that 
so that as they go up through the age groups, you're getting them better and better and better. And then by the time they do reach 18, that they do, um, you know, are able to make the grade. But no, I, I definitely do think that sometimes it does get a bit silly with just how young well, some of them are. Yeah, some of you, you might have seen that, that City image from a few months ago where they had an under five pre-academy team and they all had their City kits on and it was called the pre-academy, but City had to come out and defend themselves for not ringing an academy set up for five-year-olds. But, and they were, it was, I think it was like, you're off the chance to have one-on-one coaching sessions. You're in three times a week. I think Training Ground Guru did a brilliant article on it, covering it in a bit like, really? (laughs) We started to go this level because a five-year-old might be good before they can even go to school. Yeah, at that age, it should just be about enjoying it, shouldn't it, really? You shouldn't even be putting the fact that it could be a career into the minds of those you know, kids at that age. A lot of it, though, is the parents. It's exactly what you said earlier. You're selling them the dream, that you're, you're um, taking the whole family and the kid along with you with the hope that one or two might might just be enough to make some money off of. I, I've, I've... Oh, God, Matt, sorry. sorry. I was going to say, I think for me, the, the, a lot of these um, things kind of get blown out of proportion uh, in, in certain aspects. So I know there's always this talk about um, um, premature profession, professionalism in the sense that you're, you're almost getting kids to be professional. Um, in terms of the work and what I've seen, uh, and again, I can only go on what I've seen and what I've... A lot of the work that clubs do at those younger ages is... is, is 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 much more than just beyond. Well, it's going to be this serious, and this it's a lot more beyond that. So there is um, a bigger picture, and like you said, there is an element of introducing players that they they'll do different activities, they'll do different things to improve. Like for example, the ABCs. The way the way you have to look at it is, it's a bit like um, I don't know in school, you know, the gifted and talented sort of. Um, sector you know where, where where they where they try and give extras to to help yield that talent essentially and, and it's sort of and that's the way you got to look at it it's not a case of just signing players just so oh we're gonna get all these players through that the whole point of it is we see players that are doing well and are probably exceeding where where they're playing at the moment in the sense that 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 you can tell when you watch them play that they they they, they stand out and and it's almost like giving them another environment where there's going to be more players of that, of a similar skill level, to to maybe a, a, and the opportunity of extra coaching as an opportunity to kind of develop to, to see if that will help them develop. And it's about just giving them those opportunities. It's more about providing those opportunities rather than 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 just hoovering up whatever talent we can. I now that. That's from a that's a, as a coach speaking from a, from a top level from the top level in the, in the hierarchy as in the academy director the owners and going forward that might that view might change, but from a coach coach's point of view and some of the work that I've done and I've seen, it, it it's far from beyond just right. We're gonna that's it. We're gonna try and nick as many of these players as we can and and just and and make sure we get them before this club gets them. Um, mm-hmm. from from my point of view in that sense. Yeah, no, totally. Where where do you draw the line though of that? Of it's all about elitism and you separate the bad from the good. At what point do we, where do we think enough is enough, especially young kids, where football is a social thing for a lot of players and yeah. is one of the biggest sports in the country? What at what point do you stop turn around and stop categorizing by or do you start categorizing by elite? Because you mentioned even as young as five, you think. And please tell me if I'm misconstruing your point that that is fair enough to have you put the best with the best and then the worst with the worst. Please tell me if I'm wrong is that you believe at five that's a fair age to be splitting them up in the way City did or in that sense. Again, the City city, um, thing, that was the only one that I was aware of um, that, that I've done it that young. Now, I think, I mean... The way it's been uh, portrayed, again, it, it, it it's very difficult without knowing the full facts about what they exactly do. I mean, there's there's loads of things, loads of different things out there which where 
kids as young as two, three, and all, um, like all these different private companies are, are encouraging, like are, are doing like sessions with them, with, with with young players for them to enjoy. It might just be an extension of that, but but they've, but they, but for some reason they were they were given kit or something. Like, it might just be that we don't actually, I don't actually know exactly um, what that. Exactly that. I don't think there was any games programs or anything like that that they were involved in. It might. I don't know if they were there three or four times a week. I, they might just be there, and it might just be an, an it might be an extra session, which which players have mm-hmm. have gone to. So, so I, sorry, you were saying? Yeah, no worry. I can read you the article with what the club stated was going on. Yeah, please. The reality of it at the time was there was they split the under fives into three age groups. And they had it as a development group who trained once a week at the city development centre, the academy level, and then the elite level who were training three times a week and would receive official kit. And that's what that photo that then came around was the under five junior academy elite. That's madness in my mind. At age five, they're training three times a week, four in this instance pretty much, were training three times a week already. Like, that's where I bring that point up, is where does the line be drawn? I, in my personal opinion, I think under nines are way too young. I, I'm talking not until 13, 14, until puberty at least, because you, I just believe that development in a player is so different. A player might not have a growth spurt until they turn 14, 15. By that point, they've been chewed up, spat out by the academy system because they're too short. You know, how can you tell a player from where they are at five to... 15, 16, when they go on to scholar terms. And that's that big point I'm making. A line has to be, pardon me, has to be drawn somewhere with these players. I don't think any four-year-old should be training training three times a week. I don't believe a nine-year-old should be put into a professional environment. And James covered this point brilliantly. I think it sells them a dream of, you're going to be a professional player, you'll be, one in, you'll be a professional player. But the statistics back it up, one of them, maybe two of them at best may get a professional contract at some point. And that's where I think the academy system is grossly flawed, is that there are hundreds of hundreds of thousands of players that come through a system that may or may at one point then will just get dumped out. And that's where I have the issue working with the academy side. Again, you You've had these experiences and you've worked in the industry. You've seen it a lot differently to someone like me and James have who who aren't in the industry itself. But yeah, it's that blurred lines of why does a four-year-old need to be training three times a week? Why shouldn't that four-year-old be learning its motor skills by playing multi-sports or multiple sports, trying to be playing a bit of football, trying hockey, basketball, cricket? Surely that's more beneficial for a player's long-term development, especially in a sporting sense, than just football, football, football. You're going to be a professional player. You've got a kit. And I'm only, I know I'm just dragging on to the City point, but this is for all academies that have a pre-academy system that, that sign kids up to pro forms at the age of 10, 11, 12, or pro forms, sorry, academy forms at 10, 11, 12. Surely that kid should be learning how to control their body through motor skills, but you should be playing different sports for the social aspect, the psychological element, where they can learn. They can take a lot from netball, basketball, how to move, passing and moving with not being able to only move when you've got the ball, that type of stuff. I think, James, I'm going to let you come in and open this bit up about multi-sports, because that's my next point. Do we think kids in an academy system, all the way through from my talk from nines where they can sign their first official forms, up until the age of 16, 17, should they be allowed to play different sports? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. There's no harm in um, there's, there's no harm in playing multiple, multiple different sports, and all different sports bring their own skills. I mean, I think that you know, for example, a goalkeeper, I think playing cricket could could be a, a great help for for um, thingies. But there's there's nothing against playing other sports. I don't agree with um, you know because when you're in an academy, you can't play for another. Saturday or Sunday league team, I um, never got that. Surely you'd want them to play as much football as possible. But then again, that comes with covering your own back and hoping they don't get injured and whatever mm-hmm. else, which also makes sense. But um, no, I think the more sports, you know, the more they're out being active, the better. It can't harm, surely. 
the only thing is injuries. But you know that comes with the comes with the territory. Obviously, that's why I was going to bring Matthew. Matthew and yeah. his his view on it. Did you ever, in your experiences, limit the sport of sports kids could play? Because James has touched on it there that if a kid is signed onto an academy form, they can't then play football for a grassroots club. But what's then the multi-sport aspect like, especially in the academy systems you've been in? Um, so one of the things that we we've done, and one of the things that I, when I was working, one of my the lead coach I worked under did was bring in a lot of different um, multi-sports games that that they did in part of their training program. So during their three sessions a week, one of the sessions they they would have done different um, activities. So you got any examples you'd be willing to share with us, like to what sort of stuff you'd get up to? So so for example. There'd be different um, things such as um, move, movements. You might have like movement um, games, tag games, um, different um, think games such as, um, like I said, you've got like like a netball style game, a handball style game, um, different things in terms of players uh, being able to have to engage in different decision making factors um that would that would that would uh, be included in that um different um things there might be different like you might do different like races fun races um to um sort of like competition where they where they would have to do different so not just running but it might be hopping skipping different things like that um uh strength like i said different um things where they might have to jump over different um obstacles is, is certain things so so again this so that's where we talk about where they, they're they're engaging in in a variety of different movement what we call movement games where they're having to do different um movements engaging different movements it might be right they have to do some throwing and catching um games where they might have to May it might be a team game, a bit like similar to netball, where they might have to try and get the ball instead of throwing it into a hoop. They might have to get into a certain zone where they have to, where players have to run and 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 make movements to try and get the ball. Um, they might have to protect the ball. So so again, they're developing different um, motor skills, different decision making um, skills, team um, social skills in terms of interactions um, with different players. Um, again, cross age groups as well. So it might be that you might get the under nines and under tens. They work together. So there might be different things where they can do with that. It might be that you might have an under nine and under eleven where they're working together and developing skills. It might be that they're not opposed with each other, but they might have to learn different interactions. So there's so there's so many different um, things that might be incorporated with that in category. The height in category one. There's obviously more uh, multidisciplinary stuff. So then, so it might be that they got um, uh, movement coaches in at those levels that are specifically designed those games. When you work, go lower down, the coach like like yourself has to kind of do a bit of both. Um, so you incorporate that in, into your program where you incorporate different movements um, within those programs, and you do it in. And you try and do it in a way which is um, simple but fun games, which players can feel enjoyment of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my first thought. I suppose my next um, thing to do, because we talk about this idea of multi-sports, and, and I agree, a lot of players need to do to, do, to experience so many different types of sports. Um, they've still got access to their usual PE that they'll do at school. So that's, the, so that's a num- and one, of, one of the... Um, sources of, of, of experience in that. So you argue um, that a grassroots coaching isn't elite, like, specialised enough, and we've had that conversation where academies provide ample benefit. How then is a PE teacher providing better quality multi-sport experience to a younger player? Like, that's why I struggle to... Obviously, we've said the academy system's there to be specialised, better coaching, better contact time, better resources... Yeah. You then say that they go into do multiple sports via PE at school. Yep. That's not particularly elite or specialised, is it, as such? So would that is are they actually getting much benefit from that in your your eyes, from where your position is on academy to grassroots? Well, I suppose my 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 point is within that you 
the argument is if if they if they're going to do elite rugby, elite football, elite hockey, there's there's not enough there's not enough hours in a day for that. And and all of a sudden that is we we are literally talking about it being too much. Again, we've got to talk about it in the terms of sampling phase, which is basically a a, a, a young person is sampling all these different types of um, um, sports, um, skills, whatever, um, within the PE um, element. But it might be that they, that football is more something that they enjoy more doing, that they enjoy doing it more. So, and again, that, that might be that a route that, that is, that they feel they got a, a um, a talent in, shall we say? Um, so, I think for 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 in 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 that sense, there is this element of um, yes, you might try and specialise in one one sport, but it doesn't mean you can't sample all the others. And um, and it happens in not just football, but in all different types of sports. If you look at, for example, gymnastics, they, they that is very much an early specialised sport, which. Which play which um, the young which they they train from a very very young age. Um, I'm pretty sure other sports, such, other um, physical activities such as ballet and different types of that they 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 do that from a very young age as well. So so it is so there are other examples of where lots of sports um, do have opportunities for what I call early specialization, but it doesn't mean that that's going to be the route for everyone. So. There is a, so the way I look at it again is there you've got a younger age group. So if if there's players that fall into that category where they where that's the sport they enjoy, that's the sport that they want to to pursue, and they might know it for and and they and they enjoy the fact that they can do the extra training and and enjoy that 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 then you've got that route that you go through the foundation phase, youth development phase. Um, professional and, and go through that route there's other routes where you might enter it enter that pathway at a later stage so you might not get picked up to the youth development phase because um because that's the way you've developed meant that you're more ready for it then or that your skill set or again you're talking about um puberty as as meant that that you've you've all of a sudden now physically are, are more are better placed that might be an, uh, another avenue, and then then you've got the other route, which some players might not even touch the academy system, and and now they've gone through like the reserve non-league football, and all of a sudden they're in the professional element. So there are, there there is many ways in which um, a player can develop. Um, so I, I suppose that that'd be my my argument is that there's a other sports that that. That do this and 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 almost are quite required to do it, um, which are not football, but they do do it, and that is still that that is just only one pathway of many pathways. So it's not saying that that pathway is for everyone. It might not be for everyone. It might be for a select few. It might be so. It's just one form of the pathway. Mm -hmm. well, I'm gonna put you on the spot then a bit. You've got okay. a player that's come to you. What sort of age group were you coaching, roughly? Uh, foundation phase are nines to twelves. Yeah, so I player... worked with different age with, with different players across that age range. Yeah, just for this example, then you've got an eleven-year-old come to you. Their yeah. parents are chatting with you as well and said they've just started rugby. They re they're in your academy system. They really want to play rugby. As a coach, would you tell them to go ahead with it, or would you, at the division of the club, tell them, look, please hold off, because we don't want to injure you. Where would you draw? What sort of circumstance would you put on that, and how would you react, really, as an academy coach? It depends on on what we we're talking about in terms of rugby. There's different forms of. Are we talking about full blown what? rugby union at that age? Because I believe it goes to contact about twelve, so they're a year away from contact rugby. Yeah, but they might be playing rugby at their school. They might be playing rugby as part of like the district district mm -hmm. level rugby i just mean general be... grassroots to be honest like just general they just want to play another sport on the side because they've got nothing to do on the saturdays because they've got games on sundays and they want to do something on the saturday again it my 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 uh advice or my 
um, viewpoint on that is I, I want to encourage um, I would encourage them that they they can pursue pursue that area. I suppose my 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 view of it is is that do they want to pursue? Are they keeping it open? Are they looking to play? Are they looking to continue in the academy in in the football setup? I suppose my 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 next question because again, whenever you embark on any form of sports, you're all it's always a level of commitment. There always mm-hmm. is a level of commitment. So even if you are playing rugby at grassroots level, there's still going to be um, tra- training days. I don't, again, it depends on it. All depends on on what the club setup is. Yeah. Um, so, so it is very much. A, that's where all of a sudden you have got all these contexts added into it. Plus, again, you as a, although we're, a, I'm, I am, a, I'm a coach. Then there's certain protocols that the club might have in place to do with that that I'd have to abide by, which means that that it's not just my what my views are on it. It's a case of well, what is the club's view on it. Again, we have to put the child first as well, which is the most important thing. In terms of well, what do they actually want to do? If they want to open that up, is the academy system for them? It might not be for them. They might want to pursue different things in 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 that, and that is and that is also that's also fair fair enough for for that for that uh, uh, child because again, it, they, if they want to explore different sports, they're more than welcome to. Um, so it, again, it always it's very difficult to give a to give a hypothetical answer because there's so many different variables you're looking at before that I I know when I was working with players I know some players did other sports some of them played rugby for the school played did stuff for the school um they they ran some of them did like the cross country running cross country running as they got older and they did different runnings and they wanted to do like the I think they used to call it like you know like the mini olympics thing they used to call it where they used to do things for the school and used to be that, so those sort of things. So there's so there's so many different avenues. I I would say. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah. It's a complex issue, and it's not always so black and white of what works. I know I've done a lot of bashing of the academy system in this so far, but I do want to mention the futsal programs. I think they are brilliant as a way. I think futsal. I know the FA recently cut the budgets for it, which was a bit stupid considering they encouraged the academies with futsal tournaments. But I do think that's a really big key element of the games programme that a lot of academy systems have to improve ball control and stuff. And we've seen it with someone like Max Kilman at Wolves currently who played futsal for a lot of his like quote-unquote professional career before moving into football or full-time. I think that's a big key part. And I think, yeah, James, we'll bring you into this then. Like, I know you, we have, neither of us has coached at, at a level, but... There is some good merits to the futsal. What, what do we see with, like, especially the technique side and the technical oh, yeah. of the football? Futsal, I think futsal is brilliant for you know the the close control and the just. I mean, the more football you play, the better in, in any style. And the close control you get with the futsal. Because I mean, there's what Max isn't it? Max Kilman. Max Kilman, yeah. I just mentioned him. The, uh, yeah, the futsal player, and it's certainly not harmed him at all. So um, no, no, I, I love playing futsal, and I know that. Football has helped me want to play football, and you know, in any style, it's the same sport, just in a different situation. And I think it's it's definitely going to improve improve certain players. They do it, you know, foreign foreign teams. You know, Spanish always play futsal, and that so it doesn't harm them. So, yeah, no, I was this is where I was going to tie it into the FA because they've kind of shot themselves in the foot. I don't know if this direction directive has come from the FA or it's a Premier League thing that ties in with the elite player performance program. But why they cut the budgets for it? That was only recent that they stated COVID as their main reason. But then if you're encouraging to improve the technical aspects of English and British players coming through the system, why cut it? Like, it just seems daft of like, you've spent all this time encouraging players to do it and you've got these specific programs in place. Then why is it now? Yeah, it's, it's just one of them weird things that they seem to have copied from another country. I know they had the English DNA when I was doing my badges of this is how we play, this is the textbook, you follow that because the Spanish, the Germans, FAs both all had them as well. Like Matt, you might have some experience with the English DNA and game yeah. models. It's, 
Is it something that you use as a framework or is it more discretion again at the club that you've been with? I think there's, I mean, you've got your, yourself and your own personal beliefs on, on player development and play and player. Um, I don't want to use the word uh, playing philosophy, but in terms of a, a game game plan and, and a um, game model. Um, and also then, then on the side of that, you've got your coaching um, pedagogical uh, be- beliefs and preferences, and uh, especially for my my background from education, uh, from academic route in terms of doing the masters, I, I try and keep what I do as much as I can evidence based, um, based on 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 what the science almost says in terms of um, the benefits and and most of the things. It's almost a trade off in terms of. Um, what approach you take there's merits to it but there's also things that 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 don't that that it limits but you then you but as a coach you kind of make those decisions i is suppose that you... academic based or is it more practical is your what you base your game model on uh game game model depends on on i think more so what you believe in what because that's that's more about how your team performs for me i think from a coaching point of view you are kind of base it on the academic side as part one of the thing, but also the practical side of it, because um, what works in one context doesn't necessarily work in another context, and it might have to be framed in a completely different way. So there's so many. So there, so what works at under nine level at, at a category three academy might not work at a, at a, at a grassroots club in the in the under sixteen academy um, at a under sixteen level because there's so many different contextual factors which will influence what what you're going to do and why um from from my um uh perspective so many different things so for example the context of the club is massive so yes you've got england dna and and um, and largely it's 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 benefit it's largely beneficial and there's largely some really good points in that um but most of the things each club have as part of your e triple p um application you have to have your you have to have a a document which states what your playing philosophy playing philosophy will call it your coaching philosophy your um pathways um what what your weeks looks like how you plan a year all all that within it so you so as a club so as as a result as a coach going into that environment you're straight away constrained by how that club operates essentially because it because you can't just go in and go well I'm going to coach it the way I want to coach it. You have to look at what what the club are looking to do because essentially you're only working with a, with a group of players for a year. Then they're going to go off to the next to the next age group and you might not be their coach next year. But but the club want to have something in place which means that everything is unified so that there's a sort of a collect co- cohesive approach, if, although varied based on the age that you that you're working at in terms of the level of details you're going to go into so in in, in my experience I, I kind of like to like i said i like to take into account what the club is doing first primarily because that's essentially what the players how they want the players to to develop mm-hmm. no totally i think that's the interesting thing you mentioned the use of theory to like dictate and obviously it is there's a lot more factors than just a basic idea of or just going off the theory a lot of academia that i've read especially through my degree currently and like it's based on a lot of possession heavy games but then would you say someone like leicester completely bucks that trend but academic literature hasn't caught up really as of yet it's still a couple of years more before we get the effect of possession on the game like a detailed study because leicester completely bucked all current literature suggesting that having more passes having more possession led to a more successful performance. Do you think that that then will swing it again? And that's where that variance will come when you go to look at coaching again? Uh, it, it depends on, on, on your outlook on, on, on the game, I guess. I mean, the way I, I view it and is that fo- football is, is an invasion game and that's the, what we've got to remember. So, so football, like futsal, like handball, like hockey, Rugby—they're all invasion games, and the aim of aim of any game is to 
outscore your opponent. So, um, and there's different ways you can do that. There's different models. You can look to play route one and try and hit the forwards early and try and um, gain territory in the opposition half um, as much as you can do. There's certain models which which in which you look to build a possession base where you try and build it through the thirds and 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 to get to the final third. There's some that some models in which you try and look to um, your primary method is to defend deep, hit teams on the counter-attack. Um, largely, all that depends on the type of players you have. So, so there's two ways you can look at it. You can either, and that depends on the resources you've got, you can either look at a player, a team that has got certain players that you can't, that you've not got much room to change, and in which case you have to then devise a system based on those players you've got and to bring out the best in them. Um, the alternative method is if you if you look at oh, again we use Man City for example, they brought in Pep Guardiola to 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 bring in how he wants to play the game, and as a result, there's a almost a blank checkbook to to go right. Well, I need specific players that are going to make this work, and then they go out and buy them. So it, there's so many different ways in which football can be played. Um, possession. The theory, especially, you've got more possession, you've got more chance of winning the winning the game. But there's also alternative methods, which, which you say, well, I, I if I, if I'm a team, if I'm a coach that's team plays out of possession, I I might still control the game by having by making sure you have the ball in certain areas of the pitch, mm-hmm. and then I and then I look to win the, win it in certain areas and, and counter with it. So there's so many different different aspects the way you look at it you've got to remember that academia is not um it's not the be all and end all as well so we use we use that but we we can use that and there's an it's a form of evidence-based methodologies and approaches but at the same time you've got to then as, as as a coach or as a whoever is reading it has got to then look at that and say is that important does that impact me do i is there flaws to this and and that's more i'm sure as you know when you go when you're as you're at university the the more you you do it the more you're looking at critically appraising what you're doing Mm -hmm. so it's not a case of just saying well this is the research and that's it you look at it and go well this doesn't really tell me anything or this actually there's actually some flaws into the way you've done it so there's so many different um again it's not just saying that that I'm, I I try and use evidence based, but sometimes there might be some bits of evidence that I've looked at, and I, um, well, actually, there's actually some flaws with this, and it's actually been shown in another, in another paper. So there's so many different ways in which which, uh, again, you can look at it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think as we approach onto the hour mark, we're going to go into the last little topic that it's also probably one of my bigger criticisms especially come in as a Brentford fan. And that is, as we've mentioned throughout the podcast, the Elite Player Performance Programme. Just in the list in front of me, I've got at least six or seven clubs that are in the Football League or were in the Football League at its conception that have either shut or closed their academy down. Hereford, obviously, who went into administration and then have come up as a Phoenix team. Wickham, currently a championship side who don't have an academy system. Yeovil, who were former championship team, who have now shut their academy down because of the elite player performance programme. Brentford listed it as one of many reasons why they shut down their academy. Huddersfield have remodelled their academy as long as Birmingham into a B and C team system. Salford shut theirs down as recently as this season, where they said it was no longer viable to run an academy. And Bolton, although not shutting it down, have downgraded it considerably due to the conditions of the elite player performance programme and the financial burden it would place upon the clubs who've been running. Just looking at my current figures that I have in front of me, to run a Category 1 academy, you'd need at least a minimum of 18 full members of staff on contracts. You need to have an operating budget of at least £2.5 a season in order to gain Category 1 status. Obviously, two and three, they knock it down a step. I just look at this and think there are clubs here, especially your Brentford, 
who are in West London, which is densely populated with your Chelsea's, your Fulham's, your QPR's, your Birmingham, who are surrounded by Wolverhampton, Wanderers, West Brom, Aston Villa are three really big teams, and probably leaves Birmingham as probably the smaller of the three, or smaller of the four, sorry. Huddersfield up in Yorkshire, you've got Leeds surrounding them, and that. So again, one of them that get limited, Salford, who have Manchester clubs on their doorstep, and then even Oldham, who are slightly further down the road, down the road to them. Do we just feel that the elite player performance program is stifling these clubs in order to have an academy system, especially these little, the smaller? These are Championship clubs, some of these as well. Brentford, Huddersfield, Birmingham. And then Yeovil, Wickham, who are championship or former championship teams. So it just seems ridiculous that you play into this program that your players can be watched without permission. For, or they have to get permission 24 hours or 48 hours before a game. They can get a limited fee for them if they're not in the top band. I think the maximum you can get for an under-16 player with zero EFL appearances as a Category 3 or 4 academy, which most championship clubs would be, or fall into that bracket, is 71 grand. Like, what's the point? You'll make more money buying a younger player from a foreign league and then selling them for more because they're on professional terms. You know, it's a lot of it is, is not only the club selling the dream, but the club believing in the dream and that all the club needs is one player to be sold for a decent amount of money and that for that one year or maybe two years or three years and that academy is paid for. Mm. I mean, with Bellingham, for example, them selling Bellingham, that more or less runs the academy itself for, what, 10, 15 years if they decide to, re if that's how they choose to reinvest some of the money. I mean, Reading personally have been very successful at bringing through academy players and selling them on and it does become viable if, if you do it well enough and that you can make enough money out of it. But yeah, it is frustrating when you can, you know, you spend all that money and you can't just lose players for nothing. That that's that I don't really yeah, I don't in, get. In context, obviously it's not nothing. Seventy one grand's probably quite a nice chunk of change for a few of the lower league teams. Yeah, but, but it's it's interesting how much you can earn, because you could earn a hell of a lot more. So this way, yeah. It ties into my Omar Richards argument. And again with but going back with development programmes are different or development pathways are different. Omar Richards was on the cusp of the first team last year. The year before that, he was nowhere near the first team. He's now suddenly grown, he's 22, six months left on his contract, and Reading can't get a penny for him, despite being a Category 1 academy. It's that risk and reward, because two years ago, he wasn't deemed a top prospect. He wasn't deemed ready for the first team at the age of 20. He was playing in the Premier League 2 in one of the two divisions. So Reading are in the top one, aren't they, but... He's now six months away from being able to go join Bayern Munich for nothing. He might go to a tribunal if he now goes to an English club. But it's just pennies. Danny Loder did the same at Reading. He was fought as one of the top prospects for a long, long time. Never got a contract or never got an extension on his contract that meant Reading could then receive a fee for him because he left to go on to put Porto because it was deemed a better system for him at the age of 19, 20. And Reading get nothing. Yeah, he turned down the contract, to be fair. There was one on the table, and he decided to walk away for that. that. That's where the yeah the elite player performance programme has its difficulties, because you try and get these players and onto contracts, youth terms. Elise is on one currently, Richards is currently on one. But they get to a point where they just run out, because you don't know how a player develops. Even at 20 to 22, which Richards falls into for the last two, three years. Reading didn't know enough to offer him a longer-term deal. So they're now standing to lose him for nothing. If the the buying rumours are to be true and it goes through. He might not, and he might run his contract down and go as well in the summer. We don't know. But I was going to bring you into this point, and we'll talk about it a bit as a Brentford. That's why, yeah, and the, the, they mentioned in their statement, it was about four or five years ago, maybe longer than that, where they discussed it. And just the catchment of it all. It's difficult to run a system. Brentford were, if they said to if they're running, it was two and a half million a year they'd lose running that academy. For what? For a player that might then be sold for 71 grand at max if they haven't made it to the Premier the EFL by that point. And if they'd made it onto Brentford's bench by that point, I believe it was only an extra 50 
fifty to a hundred thousand pounds. If they played ten appearances, they'd get an extra twenty-five grand. If they played twenty, they'd get fifty, thirty, seventy-five, forty, a hundred, which is pennies for a two and a half million pound investment. Not to even mention that the clubs could have then just come up and picked them off by the time they're 15, 16 in the event they might become good. Especially Chelsea. Chelsea are one of the most efficient systems of it. Obviously there's been limits with loans now and how much you can get people out. But Chelsea literally could just pick up Brentford's best players on fairly minimal contracts for what it is. Like 71 grand and a lot to someone like Chelsea loan him out and probably recoup most of that fee within the five or six years of just loan after loan after loan. So it's that difficult one and I think we've covered it a lot on this pod and this episode of Matt, your insight's been brilliant. It's been great to chat and Can James... I um I was just gonna add one thing on on Yeah, yeah go, go ahead, Joe. Um I think for I think the thing that we've got to remember is is that it we come back to it, it is a player development program. So firstly, it isn't without its faults. I think that, and no player development program is. I mean, like for example, I know with the, going down the B team, C team model, the exact same problem could still exist in the sense that you could sign a player on a contract, they can run their contract down. And, and if anything, you want to get nothing for him at the end. So that's, that is potentially, so, so that, there is what I'm trying to say is there's still flaws in 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 that sense. I think for me the only thing that again that that e triple p what it has done it's almost added a sort of protection is what I'll call it. So in the old days it used to be very messy with the the tribunals like we we're talking about. This way it was it was meant to al- allow there to be some form of clarity in terms of what outlay you can expect to get. And again, these are like the minimal terms. So for example, it, it's not to say that clubs can't... It, for example, if you've got a player and you've got three or four different clubs, well, there's going to almost be a bidding war, essentially. Um, there always probably will be. So so as a result, there are, there are going to be different yeah, different things to it. That, that tribunal thing is... Yeah, that thing where it talks about the compensation... Is more to do if it gets to the point where there's almost that standoff point where where the player's not signing, not signing, and then you've got a then you they obviously they want to join an, a, a club and the club don't are, are are kind of digging their heels in a bit. There is that element of a clarity about knowing what you're gonna what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the, so that would be me. Um, what I would say in that, and, and again, it, it's also meant that there's an element of um, professionalism in it, in the sense that there is an element of um, the academy has to be, there has to be certain procedures and standards. So again, it's, it's a kind of what I call the off, it's almost like the offstead of, of what a school would be. Offstead is to a school in terms of that it's almost like a, a quality assurance sort of um, aspect to it as well. Um, Again, and also we've got to remember is that if we look at it, if we get away, not look at it as an E-Triple-P, but just look at it as a player development system, well, different clubs have different models and different clubs, different models will work for it. So for me, that that is going to be, that's something that I think we've got to remember that it, that it, it is just a model and that for some clubs, that just doesn't work for them. Um, because because it it doesn't because they they want to develop something completely um, different or they want to go down a different route. Absolutely, um, I think you've done brilliantly to like kind of sum up the, the closing thoughts of what is the actual purpose of an academy. And I think that ties it in brilliantly with what you mentioned it being the safety net, and I think it ties it in with it's just unique from club to club. Brentford may look at it as a direct way to get players into the first tier. A Birmingham City may look at it as a path to develop and finance their first tier. Reading may look at it as a way of creating players that go on and play in football somewhere or other. I think that's a brilliant point towards the end that covers it all. And 
I think as we tip over just to the hour mark, I think we will close it up there because I think it's such a com complex issue, the academy system. And we could, I think we could go round and round in circles, but... <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think we'll leave it with that for now and before before we go on any more. But thank you once again for, you, for your input. It's been brilliant. And thank you for coming on. It's been really good. No problem. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening as usual. If you can like, share, follow, and subscribe to all of our social media accounts, that'd be absolutely brilliantly. And we're on to the next one. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>